As we continue our series, Ruin to Restoration, we will continue in the book of Isaiah as we look at God's covenant promises for his people. Our scripture passage today comes from Isaiah chapter 54. I invite you to turn there. It's on page 730 of your pew Bibles, or you can use your own Bible or follow along on the screens. We'll be looking specifically at verses 1 through 10. So I invite you to follow along as I read the passage aloud. Hear the word of the Lord. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud for you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer." The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife, deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer." This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you, for the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So here we are, March 1st. Can you believe it? Can you believe we're already two months into 2020? We're in also the first, this is the first Sunday of Lent. We began this liturgical season of Lent this past Wednesday on Ash Wednesday, where we gathered together in this space to put ashes on our foreheads, to take communion together as we remembered our mortality. That as humans, we came from dust and to dust we shall return. We did this as a mark of penitence, staring face to face with our sin and acknowledging that we are dust and we are in need of a savior. We begin this season of Lent with ashes, with sorrow, the acknowledgement of death and desolation, our mortality. But we end the season of Lent with Easter, new life, the resurrection of Christ, restoration and hope. This is much like the sermon series that Bob and Mitchell have been preaching through over the past few weeks and months, Ruin to Restoration. 
As we've looked closely at the latter part of the book of Isaiah, we've seen how God's promises of redemption for his people, promises for redemption even for the worst ruin, the direst of circumstances, and how God brings them into restoration much like in our own lives. In this passage today, we see Isaiah is reminding the people of the everlasting promises that God made with them from the beginning with his covenant with Abraham. Covenant promises that shall not be broken. This is a reminder to the people that although they are barren, desolate, abandoned, ruined, ashamed, shall I go on, that God has not forgotten them. How easy it is for us to forget God's love for us. When, there are, when we are in the middle of turmoil and pain, when we have turned away, we feel that God has also turned away. We need to be reminded, just like the Israelites, of God's promises. Chapter 54 begins with a reference to the people of Israel as barren, those who are unable to have children. See, barrenness was a terrible mark for women in those days. Women who could not have children were ostracized and humiliated by society. They were put to shame. Barrenness was not a good mark to have. It was not a good place to be. Even for us today, we walk with women who are barren and sorrowful grief as the journey is tough and painful. So God's people were barren. Their nation was conquered by the Babylonians. Their population reduced. They had returned from God and worshipped the idols of their culture and the world around them. They were lost in exile and destroyed. Their best days were behind them. They had no hope for new life. They had no hope for a future. They were expecting nothing. Barren. But the Lord instructs them, even in their barrenness, to sing. Cry aloud in singing because something is about to change. The Lord acknowledges their barrenness and turns their attention to a different kind of future. Yes, you are barren, but get ready. Because as we read in verse 1, the Lord says, The children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married. The Lord says to enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. The Lord is telling his people that although they have been in ruin, although they have not been growing, they have not been flourishing, that they better get ready to add to their family. Verse 3, the Lord says, For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Now, hold on just a minute. We can only imagine how hard this was to believe. This must have been to believe for the Israelites. All they had been through, all they had done, we don't deserve a bright future. We don't deserve to grow. We're in sorrow because we've been destroyed and exiled. We have been waiting for forever for something to change. But maybe we've lost hope. Now you're telling us to prepare for growth? Now you're telling us to get ready to be healthy? How can that be? You and I know what it is like to be in a season of waiting. 
a season where maybe we feel abandoned and empty, hoping for something to change, but not seeing the glimpses of light in the darkness, not sure if God is really there. Am I ever going to find a job? Will I ever graduate? Will I ever finish this treatment and be cured? Or am I ever going to sleep again? Maybe that's just my hope right now with a five-month-old at home. I sit awake at night going, am I ever going to sleep again? But we do. We wait in those moments and we think it's never going to change. It's never going to get better. We're stuck and we're in pain and we need help. We begin to lose hope that anything's going to change. We begin to feel like maybe God has forgotten us. Just like in this season of Lent, these are 40 long days as we wait in the mire of our humanity. But we look forward to the restoration that comes through the resurrection of Christ on Easter. What a celebration for us who already know what happened on the cross. We are redeemed because of Jesus Christ. So we walk through this season knowing that there is hope to come. But for the Israelites, they didn't know if redemption would come. They didn't know if God would ever turn his back back toward them and have compassion on them. But the Lord gives them a reminder in this text through this image of barrenness, reminded of God's covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12 to 17. As we remember how God promised Abraham that he would be the father of a multitude of nations, that he would be exceedingly fruitful. But let's not forget his wife was old. What was she? She was barren, just like the Israelites. She doubted God's promises. In fact, she laughed in his face at the Lord, how could this be? We're too old to be the father and mother of many nations. We cannot have children of our own. But even in her old age, God miraculously blessed her with a child so that the promise would be fulfilled. Just like in this passage in Isaiah, the people were barren. They didn't believe that they would be fruitful again. They didn't believe that they could be redeemed. But God reminded them of his promises to Abraham, and to his people, just as he allowed Sarah to conceive a son in order to fulfill the promise, he would bring fruit to his people. God reminded them of his steadfast love for them. Get ready, because restoration is about to happen. Open your doors, spread your tents, make room at the table, because the Lord's blessings are true, and you can have hope in the future. So what about for us? Do we at times as individuals or as a church feel barren or desolate? Especially in our world today, we see and experience brokenness all around us. It feels like the world is falling apart. Just turn the news on for five minutes. It's discouraging and scary. It's hard to imagine true restoration in this upside down world. We see more and more churches closing their doors rather than expanding their tents. We see more and more people categorizing themselves as nuns, meaning that they have no religious preference, no religion at all, who are turning away from the church, turning away from God. 
But we must, we must be reminded of God's covenantal promises, reminded of God's faithfulness to all the people who have come before us, that even in the most desolate and downtrodden, God has redeemed. So as we wait, as we wait for the fulfillment of God's promise, for Christ's eventual return, we too should make room, expand our tents, open our doors and be ready to spread to the right and to the left as God produces fruit in our individual lives, both personally as we're drawn closer to God through his word and his spirit, but also in this church. God is doing a good work of restoration, drawing people to himself. The Lord says, fear not, you will not be ashamed. You will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. We should not fear the past, fear the mistakes of the past, be stuck and dwell in the pains of the past, but rather look ahead to cling to the hope of the promise. But who, who will get them out of this ruin? Who will free them from this desolate, barren place? We see in verse 5, the Lord makes it very clear. You are no longer a widow because your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts, the Holy One of Israel, is the Redeemer. There's hope not because the people of God have achieved it or earned it, rather the complete opposite but because God is the Redeemer. Just like with Abraham and Sarah, Sarah could not get pregnant on her own will or might or effort, but it was because of God's blessing and fulfillment of the promise. It is for his glory, not anything that we try harder at or work more towards or earn on our own. Let us, friends, not forget that this Lenten season. Let us not forget our need for God to intervene, that it is not by our own will, but God's will, that nothing we can do can earn or achieve or lose the grace and love of God. We need a Savior. So as we continue in our passage, we look to verse 7 and we see a little dose of reality. The Lord says, for a brief moment, I deserted you. In verse 8, in overflowing anger, for a moment, I hid from you. The Lord is referring to the Babylonian exile, a brief moment. Now, do you think that the Israelites felt that it was a brief moment? Right? How often in, in the scheme of the world, a brief moment seems like forever to us. But in comparison to God's everlasting love, everlasting love and covenant, it was a brief time. How often have you felt that God has turned away from you? Whether individually or as a community or a nation, how often does it feel like God has left us on our own, left us to our own devices and we feel abandoned? Maybe we feel like this time we messed up bad enough. This time God won't help. This time God really has turned his back on me. Maybe like the Israelites, we turned to worship the idols of our culture. 
We put them before God, and maybe it was one too many times. Maybe we worship success or work or worldly significance. Maybe it was alcoholism or comparison or perfectionism. All of these covering up the fear in our hearts. Maybe we feel that God is angry. Or maybe we feel our nation has just gotten too corrupt just too corrupt for God to intervene and that God has turned away. We don't often like to talk about God's wrath. We like to talk about a loving God who forgives and saves and has grace upon us. We don't like to talk about God turning away from his people in anger. There's a tension between the wrath of God and the compassion of God. We see this throughout scripture. For instance, in Hosea, when the Lord says, my heart recoils within me, my compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not come in wrath. We see that the compassion of the Lord wins out over anger. So we cannot stop reading at the beginning of verse 7. We must continue to read because if this was the end of the story, it'd be a pretty depressing story. But listen to this great promise. It picks up right at the word but. Anytime we see a but in scripture, we take note and we say, what has the Lord has for us? But with great compassion, I will gather you. And at the end of verse eight, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you. Yes, I turned away, but I love you. Everlasting love, a love that never ends. Can you even fathom that kind of love? Do you even know what that kind of love is? This is a promise for redemption. He has turned to face his people. It's a renewal of God's original intention for his people. This promise echoes God's covenant with Abraham. Get ready. You thought you were barren, but prepare to grow in fruitfulness. Prepare to spread abroad to the right and to the left, not because what you have done, but because of my great love for you, says the Lord. But how can the Israelites be sure? How can they be sure that God won't do this again, that he won't turn away from them in anger again? They will mess up again. How can we be sure if he did it once? Who's to say he won't do it again? How can they trust in this promise? Well, to ensure the promise, the Lord continues. He reminds the people of yet another covenant he made. Starting in verse 9, we see the covenant was with Noah. He says, As I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. We all know the story of Noah, the great flood that wiped out the earth, how devastating it was. But after the flood, God made that promise to Noah. And as a sign of this covenant with Noah, he put the rainbow in the sky that when we see that, we remember his love for his people. He will not flood the earth again. The Israelite people knew that God had kept his covenant with Abraham and Noah. The Lord reminded them of these covenants so they could trust in his future promises. These covenantal promises are real. They're not far off, but they are real for us today. 
God renews his covenant and his assurances of grace. And in turn, God's people renew their trust in the Lord. We see finally in verse 10, we read a verse that's often quoted and cherished among Christians. This verse reminds us of that very unique, everlasting love of God for us. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. This is the promise. The people of God had hope in God's love for them as we have hope in God's love for us. Even in the midst of our darkest nights, in the brokenness, in the waiting, we have hope that God's love will never leave us. There's not a lot to hope in in the world today, but we can have hope in the Lord. When we trust in the Lord, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, when we, when we believe that Christ died and rose again for our sins, was resurrected to new life, our salvation is secure. No matter how hard and painful life can get, no matter how much we mess up, nothing can separate us from the love and grace of Christ. Nothing. That's the crux of Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that? Do you, friends, believe the truth of the gospel? Is your hope in the Lord? Do you believe that God loves you with an everlasting love, a compassion that goes beyond anything worldly, anything we can imagine? Do you believe it? Do you know his love? We, like the Israelites, are in need of a redeemer. We're in need of salvation. We can go from ruin to restoration because of Christ Jesus. And today we celebrate that at the table. God had a plan for our salvation, for our redemption. God sent a redeemer, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die a death that we deserved, bearing the sins of the world so that we might have everlasting life with the Father. We need a Savior. Never is it more apparent than during this season of Lent how broken we are and how in need we are of salvation. Left to our own devices, we're barren. We're desolate, we're broken, we're in exile. As we recognize our need for a Savior, we confess our sins and we come. We come asking for forgiveness, clinging to the grace and love freely offered to us through Christ. And today we celebrate that, that gift of salvation at the table. So as we come to this table today, we come because we are invited We come because we have a God who loves us so much that he would send his only son to die for us so that we might have everlasting life. Do you believe it, friends? Do you believe that you need a savior? Do you believe that God is calling you? This table, this is the joyful feast of the people of God. People come from north and south and east and west to feast at the table in the kingdom. We know that Jesus is locally present at the right hand of the Father in heaven, but he's spiritually present with us here at this table 
He is host of our table. This table is not the table of First Presbyterian Church, but rather the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. We come to be spiritually nourished because we're invited by God to believe and trust in his promises. Jesus invites all those who seek to follow him, all who trust in him, to share at feast at his table. Will you come? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this bread and this grape juice, which which remind us of your great love and sacrifice on our behalf. We thank you that while we were yet sinners, lost and hopeless, you died for us and gave us the opportunity to experience abundant life with you. We thank you that you held back nothing, but gave it all for our sake, and that absolutely nothing, not our sin, not our failures, not our past, not our anxieties, not our flaws. Nothing can separate us from your love. We pray for those of us who feel overwhelmed this morning with work, with our home life, with relationships, with anxiety or depression, with grief and loss. We pray that we would feel your love supporting us and giving us hope. You say, Jesus, that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. We pray that you would help us to cast our burdens on you and take up yours instead, as you will help us to carry them. We pray for those who are suffering in our community who do not know you and the hope that you offer, that you would reveal yourself to them and that you would use us to be light in the darkness. We pray that people would have a reason to ask us about the hope that we have in you because it would be so evident in our lives. We pray for our neighbors who are without shelter and without the daily assurance of food and provision, that they would experience new life in you and that you would provide for their needs. We pray for those all around the world who have been affected by the coronavirus, that you would bring healing. And we pray for all of us that we would cling to you as our rock instead of being shaken by disease, violence, and evil, which is so prevalent in our world. We pray for protection against this illness, but we also pray that we would have eyes of faith to believe that you are bigger and stronger than any threat that comes against us. Oh Lord, we love you, and we are so grateful for your sacrifice and love. You are our rock, our defender, our redeemer, and friend. We long to know you more and to serve you with our whole hearts. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this to remember me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, And he said, this cup is the new covenant poured out in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Take each of you and do this to remember me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And friends, he is coming again. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me shall never be thirsty. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come 
for all is ready.